Hello and welcome to Monocle 24's The Urbanist, the show all about the cities we live in. I'm Andrew Tuck. Coming up on today's programme. The change that we've seen has been really monumental when you think about it. When we talked internally that hey, we should you know, start this science-based targets project so that we have some externally set goals and externally validated goals, we were thinking, how oh, can we do this? Is it doable? What's it going to cost? Now it's like almost two years later and now we're thinking, OK, well, what's the next thing already? What's the next level? How can cities be more sustainable? And are there lessons to be learned from the Nordic region? This week we're reporting from Helsinki, where the urbanist team has been for the past couple of days to find out how the city is working to become carbon neutral by 2030. We'll also sit down with global engineering company Kerne, tour their factory and testing laboratories to discover how they're combining technology and behaviour analytics to improve the flow of people in our cities. So can private and public work together to create better cities. All of this and much more coming up over the next 30 minutes right here on The Urbanist with me, Andrew Tuck. So welcome to this week's episode. Climate change is perhaps one of the most existential challenges facing humanity. In the Nordic region, this is something that's been at the top of the agenda for quite some time. So it should come as no surprise that one of the world's leading engineering firms, Finland's Kerne, has set ambitious targets to reach carbon neutrality by 2030. That target matches one set out by Helsinki's City Hall, which has been working hard to not only implement physical changes to the built environment, but to alter citizens' behaviour too. Monocle's Carlotta Rebello went to Helsinki to find out more and meet the people pushing for change. This is part one of her report, and this week we're going to focus on sustainability. Here's Carlotta. There are several things Finland does right, but tackling climate change really seems to be at the top of everyone's list at the moment. Over the past week, we've been reporting from Helsinki, speaking with people from City Hall and Kone Corporation to explore how the public and private sectors are working together to achieve carbon neutrality within the next eight years. We met at an event in Helsinki's Kalasatama neighbourhood. This is a new development by the riverfront in the former Fish Harbour, which is fastly becoming the new place to go in the city. Here, construction is happening fast. We're right now on the 37th floor of Lighthouse Tower, one of the high-rises built here. From this vantage point, we can see the frozen Baltic Sea in the distance. The city is buzzing underneath us as the metro goes by, and also a lot of construction, creating what is said to be the city's newest smart and sustainable neighborhood. I was curious to find out more. So, for the next two days we will be talking a lot about smart and sustainable cities, about urbanization, about innovations. Hello, I'm Anisina Mäki, Deputy Mayor for the city of Helsinki. My responsibility is the urban environment. I have to say that, yes, I expected it to be perhaps even harder, like a bit more than four years ago when we negotiated the target of being carbon neutral by 2035. Uh, It was a compromise and it was quite a hard discussion. I myself proposed then to have the target 2030 and quite many people were of the opinion that 2040 
would be the right target, and then the compromise was 35. But after that, I think there are certain things that where we have managed to go for, and one thing is the investment in the energy production replacing coal. As I mentioned uh, in the morning, we still actually have two running coal power plants that have been producing both heat and electricity. And now we have a timetable that the first one of them will be closed within a year and the second one within two years. And that is the end of coal in Helsinki. There's also national legislation in Finland that phases out coal latest by 2029, but it actually it seems that 25 will be the year in Finland when there will be no coal in the whole energy mix. And that is one reason we have invested, for example, in heat pumps that take the warmth out of sewage water. There are certain biomass investment, also heat storages that we have invested in geothermal that individual housing companies are investing rapidly in. And that is one reason why we had the courage to bring the target closer. Second thing has been achieved within energy efficiency. Last council period, we worked both with the rules of new construction to have everything that is built in the city, uh, minimum A energy levels, and also a really important thing has to be the rules and ambition in renovating the buildings. So we have set a target in all the city-owned, we own quite a lot of housing and of course a lot of public buildings, that we require minimum 30% improvement in energy efficiency each time a building is renovated. Then we have also wanted to encourage all the private investors to have the same level more or less. When we calculated since roughly 2% of the building stock is renovated, sort of done the sort of more complete renovation each year. So we had the feeling that, okay, if we calculate that also the need for heating will be going down. And that was also a reason why we then made the decision for 2030. Regarding the third big question, the traffic, I would say that in a way we are in a good position in Helsinki that we have a really good public transport system. We are investing quite heavily in it. We are building new light rail lines, walking in a city that has fairly reasonable distances, it's really popular. Biking, we are not top cities of the Europe, but roughly 10% of all journeys made by bike. So altogether, like public transport, walking and biking make up 80% of the journeys being made, and then 20% is by car. Roughly, it's a good situation, but still I expect that politically some of the hottest debates will still be when we are going towards the carbon neutrality target will be around traffic. What about residents, citizens? How are communities reacting to this goal? Are they supporting the goal? Because it's a normal thing to have resistance to change. It's just in our nature as humans. Yeah. When Helsinki people are asked that what worries you the most, actually climate change has been on the top of the list. Now, if we ask, it might be also, of course, the security policy and so on. But for many years, climate change has been something that people have actually been worried about and they want action. I think sometimes it's easier 
for each one of us to think more generally that we need to act on climate and then it might be harder when actually the situation is such that the price on petrol uh, rises really heavily or if we are discussing congestion charges that we don't even have in Finland, the legislation that we could have, then of course the criticism can be hard. But I'm still fairly confident that Helsinki people will be supporting the goal and the measures to achieve the goal. I've been a decision maker for a long time and I have the feeling that usually the hardest part is in a way the part just before the change really takes the place. And that's the part when you have to also just have a bit like blind confidence that this will go all right. Because usually when the change then has been done, people get used to it and it becomes the new normal. So in that sense, I think that we will manage with the people of Helsinki. You said earlier this morning, you're talking about how for City Hall, innovation is just not about technology and it's about making sure there's an environment that is safe for people to change their mindset. And I wrote a quote from you. You said, the innovation needed for real change is in people's minds. And I just thought that was a very powerful sentence because it evokes this sense of trust and motivation in the elected officials who are meant to make your city better. Could you maybe elaborate a bit on that? And what are some of the ways that the city of Helsinki is helping to create that space where minds can be changed? Yes, I think that, first of all, it's really important to have clear goals that have meaning to people, because otherwise there would be no motivation for change, right? So I think that being carbon neutral by 2030, it's a clear goal, you can calculate it, and there's meaning to it. People are worried, people want certainly Helsinki to be one of the places that this will be achieved. Then I think that when you go more into people's own practices and details, take for example one field where we are working, it's not where the focus is the most, but still it's quite important, it's of course food. As a city we serve actually quite a lot of food in kindergartens, in schools, in elderly people's services, city has a big kitchen, more like a factory (laughs) manufacturing food. So those people who plan the meals, they learned to prepare a healthy, enough protein-rich menu for, say, elderly people in different times. Times when it was taught that it's the meat products that are the best source of protein for elderly people or for growing kids as well. And now you need the change that they have to learn their own profession to add up to it that actually more vegetable-based, more vegetarian diet, be it beans, be it some vegetables that are actually rich on protein, be it mushrooms, will take part of the role of the meat in order to have more climate-friendly diet. And that's when I think the hard part sometimes, or construction, that there are engineers that are under huge pressure within the city. We are a growing city. We have to renovate and build quite a lot of schools each year. And if you are planning such projects and you learn to do it a certain way, 
that's how you were schooled and that's how you've been doing it. Now lately you've been more under pressure to deliver actually more. There are old buildings you have to calculate whether it's actually better to tear that down or to renovate it completely. And suddenly actually in that equation where you are already quite burdened comes new goals. So there when professionals have to actually to add to their core profession, new skills, new calculating methods, new goals that actually do not take perhaps away some other duties that you already had in your work. I think that is where the real change is happening and if we do not manage to change these core processes where the emissions are reduced, then we won't succeed. But if we succeed to motivate to give the space for learning new things for these professionals that are doing their work, then we will succeed if we find that space. My name is Jussi Herlin. I'm the vice chairman of the board at Connect Corporation. Sustainability is a huge deal for us, as it should be, and it should be a huge deal for everyone. We have seen the attitudes towards sustainable business change a lot in the last couple of years. We've seen reports from the IPCC, for example, that really underline the requirement for all of us to act fast and to act decisively. For Kona, it's the sustainability has been a strategic target for more than a decade. If we have five strategic targets that we measure our performance against, and sustainability has always been there. And now what we've done in the last couple of years is to take it to the next level. We were the first company in our industry to adopt science-based targets and to open our processes and our sort of value chain to external review so that they can assess what are the emission impacts of the different parts of Kone's value chain. So we've set our target to be carbon neutral for scope one and scope two emissions by 2030, as well as having a 40% reduction in our scope three emissions by 2030. So when I talk about scope one, two, and three, scope one and two refer to our own operations as well as the energy that we purchase and reducing or eliminating the carbon footprint from that. And then scope three, which for our industry and for most industries, that's the big one, is the life cycle emissions of our solutions. So from the upstream, from the material side, and then to the energy that it uses as it's being operated. The change that we've seen has been really monumental when you think about it. When we talked internally that hey, we should you know, start this science-based targets project so that we have some externally set goals and externally validated goals, we were thinking, how oh, can we do this? Is it doable? What's it going to cost? Now it's like almost two years later, and now we're thinking, okay, well, what's the next thing already? What's the next level? So it really, many things are becoming a license to play. That's a minimum standard it's that you need to have. Of course you need to have scope one and scope two neutrality goals. Of course you need to look really closely now at your scope three emissions. And I, for one, really welcome this momentum. And I welcome like increased regulation and increased scrutiny on different industries because I think that by creating the right regulations, creating these 
independent and objective frameworks for setting targets is the thing that will move industries forward. And that internal conversation that is happening and being accepted and supported and wanting to be pushed forward in terms of the sustainability goals, are you feeling the same externally? As in, do you have clients coming to Kona saying, we've picked you because of your sustainability mission? Are you starting to see those results coming from outside too? We are seeing this from all sides. We're seeing it from our customers. The more advanced customers, they might shortlist their subcontractors for a construction project based on how ambitious their sustainability targets are so that you might get cut from even before the tendering phase if you don't live up to their standards. We are seeing this increasingly from the investors. A couple of years ago, when we have investor meetings, they might have a specialist to talk about sustainability matters in a meeting here or there. Nowadays, Barely an investor meeting goes by where sustainability isn't a topic to discuss. And for some meetings, it's the only topic that our investors want to talk about. And of course, the employees want to also work for companies that have a sustainable purpose and a sustainable mission. So it's sort of the pressure in a positive way is coming from all sides. In a way, it's a pressure that turns into acceptance almost. It's not with a negative connotation. It's a pressure that creates a momentum and... Uh, like I mentioned earlier, some parts of that then become already like, oh, well, obviously we're going to do this. So we just sort of accept them as basic things to do. And then something else will come up that then will become the next ambitious target to reach. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we're done with scope one and scope two. There's plenty of work to be done on how to, for example, turn our service fleet into low emission vehicles. But there's, I think, a really positive and good momentum right now in terms of turning our industry and the construction industry more sustainable. My name is Hannah Harris. I'm the Chief Design Officer at the City of Helsinki. A key thing is about, you know, we have all the technical tools, we have the knowledge, and it's about bringing those together. And key in that is obviously people and how they behave. And then we get to the really core area of design, obviously, that is it Does it make sense? Is it motivational in your everyday life? For instance, heating houses, like the mass building stock of 50s, 60s, 70s apartment blocks in Helsinki. We have a service in Helsinki which offers, for instance, advice for housing co-ops, how to do energy renovations. And this very much goes to the area of design. How do you do that? How do you arrange for that advice and make it easy and desirable for people to take that step? That sort of really everyday step at, okay, I'll go to my housing co-op meeting and suggest that we should maybe look at this. And actually, there's also some financial support available. And you know what, we might even be able to reduce costs if we do this. And things like how the city biking system works, how the service is designed, things like this that have to do really about everyday moving around. On a kind of longer term policy level, I mentioned the architecture program that we are working on, obviously, how that connects to something like the climate targets is very important so that goes to obviously building materials all kinds of things that are taking place in planning but importantly as well I think is coming out more and more how architects and designers have a huge role in also making that image for us that what is our everyday life like if we give up on something but get something else so making it that it's something not too technical and not too abstract but actually blow life into it. 
So how do all of these ideas turn into practice? And what exactly is at the core of CONES Sustainability Pledge? Here's Amy Chen, CONES Chief Innovation Officer. We wanted to be a leader in sustainability. And it's, of course, not about ourselves and what we do in our own industry, but it also goes beyond that. So it's really about how we can help our customers to be more sustainable throughout the building life cycle. And in that case, what you see is that whenever we are doing our own product development and our own product innovations, it goes without saying that sustainability, emission reduction are our top requirements and top criteria in designing our future next generation products. But this is only the part we're doing ourselves. In addition to that, I think we talked a lot earlier about the construction phase and the building phase, how to close up the building earlier, how we can provide more data transparency and, and site awareness of where energy is used. So this will create already a lot of saving on that phase. And throughout the building phase, I think there were also quite some examples given earlier of how we can measure and then reduce emissions throughout the building life cycle in the daily usage of the building. And of course, also in the construction of wooden shaft and things like that. So there are many solutions we are introducing, but I think there are many more we can do. The key is not only think about our own equipment, but also how we can use that to enable our customers to have a better sustainability. Now, you mentioned in your presentation earlier this morning all these different elements that are needed to kind of push things forward. And Mm -hmm. I think the expression you used is, oh, you need to find what makes a great cocktail. So what is the recipe for a good cocktail to push innovation forward and move things along? I think that a cocktail, I just thought about this, could be a nice way, although it's still very early in the morning. I guess the first thing when you make a cocktail is that you need to know who you're serving. So who are your customer and what they wanted to drink. And this is the most important part about innovation is always starting from a customer and what is their problem. Sometimes it might not be the customer knows what they want, but still it's about what could help them. And then it's the cocktail about technology we talked about earlier, it's very often about business model. I think also you mentioned earlier about the urban life and how this change is also often about the people and the business side of that and not only about technology. And it all boils down in the end to having the right people and the right partners. If sometimes the right people would really make a huge difference of whether something will be successful or not. And this is what I see as the cocktail. And I hope this is something that we can continue to make and having more customers wanting to have that. And hopefully not an exclusive to you as a bartender, I hope. (laughs) You spoke about people there. And just to go back to the question of sustainability and the carbon neutrality, Are we reaching a point where we need to kind of reframe the responsibility of when it comes to achieving these goals and saving energy away from the individual and more towards big corporations? Or are we still in a mix of both? I'm just curious to hear your take. I think climate change is the most important challenge we are all facing. And that means that not only public 
not only large cops and also not only individuals need to take. So all of us, I think, needs to take an important role in that. And we play different roles in this. So I think for large corporations, this is really about driving their commitment forward, corner included, and also helping more and more companies to achieve that. And of course, there's also part individuals like you and I can and should play. And I think we still make a huge difference. An average household still has six tons of emissions today, and we're still not always recycling well. So these are things that we as individuals can also do to make a difference. I think in order to reach somewhat close to what we wanted to reach in the degrees, particularly in the aggressive scenarios, we all need to contribute. Before we headed out, I also had the chance to speak with Kone's Chief Technology Officer, Maciek Kranz, who explained how sustainability has become a defining factor in the company's day-to-day work, and also how it should start from the very beginning of building something anew. This is something that I think most of our, if not all of our employees, care deeply about, right? So this is not an abstract thought. This is something that we can relate to. And part of this, us being sort of a Scandinavian-Finnish company, there's a very strong sort of view of all of us live on one earth and we have only one home. And this is not Finland versus Poland or US. All of us are sharing the same property here, right? So this sort of a sense of togetherness. And I think that what has been interesting about Kona is that we've started focusing on sustainability-related topics long time before it became sort of a big focus for the industry. So even 20 or 25 years ago, we started working on reducing the power consumption of our elevators. Over the last 20 years, we reduced the power consumption of roughly 90%. So if you think about the typical elevator in a typical residential building, the elevator actually uses roughly the same amount of energy as your fridge. But that's sort of the easy part, right? It's like, let's, let's look at that. We also realize that when you think about more broadly construction industry, roughly 40% of greenhouse gases emitted on Earth are related to construction or sort of build environments. Half of the resources we extract every year are used to construct things. So from that perspective, we think of this as a huge opportunity that we can have an impact And we approach the topic very comprehensively. First of all, we're working with our customers and thinking about how we can help them also reduce their CO2 footprint. We look at areas from new materials, carbon neutral, even carbon negative materials. We look at how to help with the people flow to minimize the use of our resources and to consume less of our resources, which is, I think, the toughest part. How do we um, make sure that when we talk about sustainability and sustainable lifestyles, that we present alternatives to urban dwellers that are positive rather than negative? So we don't feel like, you know, I want to be sustainable, but to do that, I will have to give up a bunch of things. No, I want to have a sustainable lifestyle. As a result, I will live in a sustainable way, but this is the lifestyle that I actually like and I can enjoy. Well, you spoke there about, you know, construction and how that is an opportunity. I think the number you mentioned yesterday was that workers spend 70% of their time basically just waiting for a numerous amount of things. And it's interesting when you talk about sustainability and you think, okay, it's all well and nice to say we're going to build this building that will be the most sustainable. But if the process to get it built wasn't sustainable, 
it might defy the point. What are some of the steps that Kone has taken recently? This came as a big shock to me, that statistic you mentioned, which is that on average, when you think about a um, construction worker on construction site, that they actually waste basically 70% of their time on topics that are not related to the actual work they are doing. And we started digging into this topic and tried to uh, figure out how we can improve the productivity. And one of our first answers is what you mentioned, which is we have announced a set of solutions we call JumpLift 200, 600, and 800. The basic concept here is, as you build the building, you're also building the shafts. And would it make sense for us to actually put in the elevator into the shaft and start using the elevator even to move people and materials around, even as building is being still constructed. So let's say one third of the building is constructed, we can already start moving people in the elevator. And today, the way this work is accomplished is that you build an external structure to the building, which is quite slow and limited. It takes really long time to move even a couple of flights up or down. And you use these kind of structures to move people and materials around. What we can do instead is use the regular elevator, the same elevator that you would use eventually, and with the same speed, the same conveniences, to move people in the building. But this is just a start. We are definitely looking at other ways that we can improve the flow of trades in the building. Because when you think about the building, usually the elevators are one of the first things that you actually install. So we have the opportunity to help optimize the flow of people during the construction time. My name is Kaisareta Koskinen. I work for City of Helsinki. I'm a head of climate unit and a director for a carbon reduction program. I think that nobody really knows because we are very much focusing on the carbon neutrality. And basically carbon neutrality means that we still have an opportunity to compensate our emissions. And, you know, to go to 80% carbon reduction, it's quite, so to say, easy. Because, you know, we are able to get there by replacing combustion engine cars by electrical vehicles and getting rid of fossil fuels and doing this kind of, you know, obvious things. But when we go closer to the zero carbon, it will change everything. Because then, you know, that manufacturing uh, emissions and emissions coming from building those electrical cars, they are going to be very significant. And that's why, you know, we have to change how the city works how our our life really looks like, that we are able to go to the zero carbon. And actually, I don't know how the city functions. Nobody knows. Are there any particular sectors? Of course, we mentioned cars and the automotive industry is a big factor here. But are there any particular sectors that are perhaps more resistant to meet you and city of Helsinki's goals for carbon neutrality, where you have to do a bit extra work to get them there. We basically have a two big, you know, that kind of difficult sectors, and the heating is the other one. The 60% of the emissions of Helsinki, they are coming from heating. And of course, you know, we are located here in north, so we have quite a cold winters, and we need a lot of heating. And the other thing is that we have a district heating system, which could be a very good system. But at the moment, we are producing heat by burning something. At the moment, we are burning coal and natural gas. 
and in future we are going to replace coal by burning a biomass. But every time you burn something, you are creating carbon dioxide, and that's the problem. So we basically have to change the whole system and electrify the district heating production and things like that. And the other one is the traffic, and the traffic is not a technical problem, but it's the human problem. It's the psychological problem because people they have a very you know intensive feelings you know about the private cars and giving up private cars and that's a challenge how do you bring then citizens in to be by your side basically how do you bring communities to be by your side and to try to get that outreach out there and more people on board of course you know you cannot always just use a carrot. Sometimes you have to use a stick. <laughs> On the traffic, we are using both. So we are making public transport better. We are upgrading our hiking infrastructure. And especially during the winter time, it's uh, you know, crucial that we are all you know, maintaining the roads for bikes. Because if they are covered by a snow and ice, you know, nobody is going to biking. But then... You know, on the new areas, we are also, you know, designing parking garages to be a little bit further away from the houses so that there is a small that kind of resistance to take your car. And we are making like a public transport stops, tram and metro to be closer to the houses. So we are also using that kind of, you know, a small stick parts. And then we are, for example, we are increasing the price of the parking in the city centre. And that's also that kind of a thing that we are, you know, forcing people or encouraging people to leave the car. The area where we're in today, this district, has been sort of a testing ground for innovation, but also it has quite a strong relation and tradition and history with shipping, which is an industry, of course, with a heavy carbon footprint as well. How has this area been used to test climate innovation? And does that translate or incorporate into the shipping industry as well? Not directly, but what we have been trying here is that the whole idea of this area was to build that kind of one hour more kind of district that, you know, everything is located very close. The public transport is here. So there is a metro, you know, basically in the heart of the area. There are that kind of, you know, automatic buses going on the street So basically, by, you know, utilizing all kind of, you know, fancy things, you are able to reduce or or to get one hour more for your days. And of course, you know, on the climate change, they are not that kind of, you know, fancy things, what we have been trying here. They are like energy intelligent systems on the housing and uh, that kind of, you know, energy innovations, very energy efficient heating systems and things. They are probably, you cannot see them. They are, you know, built on the buildings, (laughs) but, you know. And I guess I just have one final question for you. What does the head of a climate unit do on a day-to-day? Like, is your day-to-day trying to convince people that this is, you know, the way we will survive? Sitting on meetings? What does your day-to-day look like? At the moment, it looks like very much sitting on the meetings. (laughs) Unfortunately, I'm doing engineering. I'm really, you know, fighting the fights. Because I love to do it. But it's, I'm, you know, talking with the politicians. I'm talking with the managers of the city. I'm the kind of, you know, queen of fucking everything. 
So that is just a snapshot of what Kone and the city of Helsinki are doing individually and together to achieve this ambitious goal of carbon neutrality by 2030. Join us next week to hear part two of our report. We'll be venturing out to Kone's own factory and also to their high-rise testing lab to see how lifts and technology is being tested for the cities of the future. For Monocle in Helsinki, I'm Carlotta Rubello. And that's all for this week's edition of The Urbanist. Remember to subscribe to the show for your weekly dose of urbanism every Thursday, as well as new episodes of our sister show, Tall Stories, every Monday. Today's programme was produced by Carlotta Rubello and David Stevens both reporting from Finland. Christy Evans edited the show. Join us next week for part two of their report, including a visit to Kone's factory and high-rise testing laboratory set in an active limescale mine. And to play you out this week, well, here's Satin Jackets with Northern Lights. Thank you for listening, city lovers. Stay in the